It's a bad world out there. So take solace in the word on Solace Radio. Somewhere about, um, oh, I guess 30, maybe 30, almost 35 years ago. Not quite, but um, the God of my fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, called me to himself and revealed Yeshua to me as my Messiah. That to me was, I, I wouldn't have believed anyone else besides him. You know, people try to tell me that Yeshua in the past was the Messiah. And uh, I just couldn't believe them. It was a little too much for me. I grew up in a very traditional Jewish home. And when the name of Jesus was spoken, it was not spoken in a reverent manner. In fact, my understanding always was that uh, he was the God of the Christians and we Jews are to have nothing to do with him. And I was fine with that. I was at peace. I was at rest. When my rest came, sort of came undone was when the Spirit of the living God began to move on my heart and reveal Yeshua to me as the true Messiah of Israel, the true Messiah of our people. I was very uncomfortable. Naturally, I was brought up with just the opposite thinking. And so it was very difficult for me to, first of all, believe and then receive Yeshua as my Messiah. But after I researched who Yeshua is, because I really hadn't read anything about him. I wasn't interested. After I did some research on my own, because I was stirred in my heart about this, I finally came to the point of great satisfaction. I found out that Jesus really was not the Messiah. And I was completely satisfied with that answer. But the Lord wasn't through with me. And uh, though I was satisfied and relieved, actually, because I did not want to believe in him, that's just at the point when God just showed up. And the spirit of the living God just landed on my heart and pierced me through the heart. And I was so convicted, convinced, that Yeshua is the true Messiah and convicted of my own unbelief and sin. That, that in that very moment, so many years ago, I went from night to day just like that. Just a flip because of the presence of God. Because of his power in my life and his loving kindness to draw me and his patience to draw me. I came as a very stubborn person. And so since then, 30-some years ago, I not only received a call in my life from him to become a Messianic rabbi and follow him all the days of my life and, and speak and live the good news of Yeshua, the Messiah, who died for our sins and rose from the dead to forgive us our sins. Uh, the Lord has taught me much over these years. In fact, this messianic story, the story of Jews coming to faith in Yeshua, I call us messianic Jews, is my life story now. And I suppose because, in part because I've been a Messianic Jew longer than I was a traditional Jew. But there's quite an overlap anyway. I'd like to share a little bit of my story with you today. If you could be, just put the notes on the overhead. I want to share with you something old and something new. This is a... This is a message that comes out of my life, but it certainly comes out of, my, comes out of the, the word of the Lord. 
What is something old, something new? Well, I want to share a messianic vision and story with you. And it comes from the pages of our family diary and beyond. Not just the Waldman family diary, but from the Jewish family diary. From the family diary of our people, and we call it the Bible. We call it the Bible, beginning with the Torah, beginning with Bereshit, Genesis, and going all the way through to the last book of this family diary, which is called the Revelation of Yeshua the Messiah. Some people wonder in the Jewish community why my Bible is so thick. That's because I have the whole thing. It goes all the way from the beginning to the end. In this story, and I, I purposely use this terminology, our family diary, because I want everyone to understand that the Bible is universal. It's truth for everyone. Everyone can open the Bible. Every, you, can, you can buy one in most every store. But I wanted to tell everyone that this story is not simply an objective story that comes out of thin air. It's a story about a people, mostly written about us. Not all of it is pretty. There are some glorious moments, but there are some very dark moments as well. And so from this family diary and beyond, I want to bring you the story and the vision of the Messianic community. But first, a little story about one for the rabbi. You'll give me a, you'll give me a few seconds, just one for the rabbi. A rabbi suffered a severe flu attack and was confined to the hospital for several weeks. Not me, thank God. The synagogue's president paid him a visit. I want you to know, Rabbi, that last night the board of directors voted a resolution wishing you a speedy recovery. Gee, thanks. And it passed, 12 to 9. <laughs> Not everybody loves the rabbi. <laughs> Some old and some new treasure. There's something old and something new. I call it old and new treasure. Yeshua said this, So then, every Torah teacher who has been made into a Talmud, a student <clears throat> for the kingdom of heaven, is like the owner of a home who brings out of his stored treasure both new things and old. So, my friends, the Messianic story is made up of old things and new things that come out of the storehouse, the treasure chest, if you will, of Scripture and of Yeshua's story. So, Messianic Judaism is both old and new. I'd like to explain that to you. It's old because it was birthed 2,000 years ago. But it's new because it has been revived, it has been resurrected, and it is being restored today. What happened in between? <laughs> we have a huge gap of history in between. I would say, you, we could say for the last 1,700 years, at least, we have a somewhat quiet story about the Messianic Jewish community. It was birthed 2,000 years ago. In fact, we read the New Testament, which gives testimony to the Messianic community. And its birth, and its survival, its progress. But something happened in history. I don't have time to give all the history to you, but 
Suffice it to say that what happened in history was that um, the Jewish community, the Messianic Jewish community was birthed. It grew to tremendous numbers, incredible numbers, and I believe influential numbers in the land of Israel. And even among Jews in the diaspora at that time. Some number it in the hundreds of thousands. But the door was open of this saving grace of God in the Messiah, in the Jewish Messiah. The doors were open to the Gentiles in the Gentile world. And this was not an, not an easy thing to accept by the Jewish believers, by the way. We always thought, or our father, forefathers always thought, that the Jewish Messiah was for the Jews. Actually, I believe mistakenly so. And I'll, I'll bear that out with, I'll, I'll, I'll show that to you in Scripture in just a moment. So the thing that was born 2,000 years ago, called the Messianic movement or the Messianic community, flourished. The gates were opened into the Gentile community and Gentiles in huge numbers began to come to saving faith in Yeshua as the Messiah. This community of Jews and Gentiles believing in Yeshua actually celebrated and worshipped God as one new man. And it was a beautiful thing to behold as you read history. But soon, the, Jewish, the broader Jewish community renounced Yeshua, renounced the witness of Yeshua's followers to the resurrection of the Messiah. And the Jewish community basically said, Jews who believe in Yeshua are no longer Jewish. That happened towards the end of the first century. When that happened, our community became somewhat isolated from the greater Jewish community. And that was quite detrimental to us. However, we may have survived okay had not the Gentile community also rejected us after time. The numbers of Gentiles grew so large and many became anti-Jewish or anti-Semitic and began to reject everything Jewish. And so our community became quite isolated and we began to dwindle in numbers. So the old Messianic Jewish community, birthed 2,000 years ago, was vibrant. It was a wonderful community. It gave, it gave life to the Torah. It gave witness to Yeshua as the Messiah. But eventually, it petered out and died. Now there's at least 15 to 1,700 years of time went by and maybe there were a handful of Jews who came to know Yeshua as the Messiah, but they were not allowed, they were not permitted to remain Jewish in their identity. When they came to faith in Yeshua as the Messiah, they were forced to convert not only to um, a new culture, but also to a new way of life and divorced from their Jewish identity. Now, we are seeing something happen in our day which is miraculous. The Messianic Jewish community is being rebirthed. After 15 to 1,700 years, I would say 1,700 years, it's being revived. It's being resurrected. And I use that term on purpose. Resurrection is something supernatural that takes place. And this is something supernatural that has taken place. After 17 centuries of the Messianic community being gone from the scene, somehow, supernaturally, we're back. And most of us came pushing and shoving, I mean, resisting. We didn't come willingly. And, you know, my friends, there wasn't some committee that got together somewhere and said, hey, we need to revive the Messianic community of old. That's a good idea, isn't it? Nah. No. No, we, uh, we didn't want to be revived of old, but here we are. And now we're so grateful to God that he's done it. We're not fully restored yet, but we're, on, we're in process. We're on the way. 
If you see some things that don't look quite like you'd like them to be among us in the Messianic community, it's because we're not fully restored yet. We're just, we're on the way. But we are being restored. Something old and something new. It's a miracle in our own day. So, what's old? Old could refer refer to Tanakh or Temple Judaism, or maybe called traditional Judaism as it was practiced in Yeshua's day. So when Yeshua says drawing something old and something new from the treasure, it could simply be referring to the old being the Tanakh, the new bring what Yeshua was bringing in terms of the Messianic community of the day. For our purpose and for the purpose of this talk today, I'm going to use the word old as referring to the Messianic Judaism of the first century as opposed to the new, which is the Messianic Judaism of the 21st century. But we'll look at this a little bit. First century Messianic Judaism was not only born out of traditional Judaism, but it remained faithful to its precepts while adapting its fullness in Yeshua. Let me explain that to you a little bit. When Jews in the first century became believers and followers of Yeshua as the Messiah of Israel, the Son of the living God, they didn't stop being Jews. They didn't stop practicing Judaism. In fact, we read in the Scriptures that even the apostles, the Shlichim, went up to the temple at the time of prayer, the the regular Jewish time of prayer for Shacharit in the morning. So Jewish believers, Messianic Jews in the first century, remained identifiably Jewish and even remained part of of the broader Jewish community, bearing a testimony, a witness of Yeshua to the rest of our brothers and sisters. That was what the Messianic Jews did of the first century. Traditional Judaism was adapted to find its fullness in the Messiah. In other words, there were some things about traditional Judaism that couldn't adapt. And even Yeshua said, you are observing some traditions while nullifying the very Torah itself. And so the followers of Yeshua brought this traditional Judaism with them as they came to faith in Yeshua, but it was adapted and found its fullness, found its fulfillment, the full meaning of it in Yeshua. New? So what's new? What's new? What does new mean? New may refer to the first century Messianic Judaism, which I mentioned already, which would bring traditional Judaism, or Tanakh Judaism as I call it, to its fullest meaning in Yeshua. So the natural, if I could put it in these terms, the natural sequence, if you will, of growth of Tanakh Judaism is Brit Hadashah Judaism if I could put it in that way. That's the natural sequence of New Testament Judaism. So this New Judaism was characterized by a number of things. It was messianic. It held Yeshua at the center of its faith and practice. It was full of hope. It was vibrant. It was faithful. And it longed for the restoration of Israel's kingdom under the reign of the risen Messiah, Yeshua. That's what characterized this new Judaism, this Messianic Judaism, if you will. There was never a question about whether or not these people were Jewish, like there is today. We face something they never faced in the first century. We have to face our own people in the Jewish community and stand up and say, yes, we are Jewish and we do believe in Yeshua as the Messiah and follow Him as Jews. 
That's what the modern Messianic community has been called to. Actually, we have the same calling as our forefathers in the first century. Not much difference. There's some differences, but not much. I'd like to share a Talmudic story with you. It goes like this. A yeshiva booker, that is a yeshiva student, was studying one day when all of a sudden he jumped up out of his seat with great excitement. His face radiated with light and his lips were moving as he opened the door and ran into the street shouting, I have the answer, I have the answer. But who has the question? Lots of us have answers, but nobody's asking any questions. But there was a question that was asked of Yeshua. In fact, it was the last but central question on the minds of his Talmudim, of his followers. We find it in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. And then when they were there together, they asked Yeshua, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? David uh, Stern in the Jewish New Testament translates it as self-rule. Are you going to restore self-rule to Israel? I think it's more than self-rule. I think it's self-rule under the rulership of a theocracy, not simply a political self-rule. Israel today has self-rule, politically. But it's not a theocratic self-rule. So I believe when Yeshua's Talmudim, when his followers were gathered there, and they asked, this is the very last question they asked him. Can you believe it? This is what is central on their mind. This is the last thing. Lord, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Anybody asking that question today? The Messianic Jews are. So a longing for the kingdom was central in the heart of all Jews in Yeshua's day. And it also remained central in the hearts of his own followers who were all Jewish at the time. I wonder if it needs to be more central in our hearts. Today's Messianic community, I believe, is heralding the return of the Messiah and the restoration of his kingdom, whether we think we are or not. The Messianic community has been raised up at this time in history. It's a miraculous thing. It's a unique thing. The only other time in history this has ever happened before, my friends, listen to this is the first century, 2,000 years ago. Is there something significant happening today? I think most of us understand that there is, but I believe the wider body of believers needs to open its eyes. I believe the Jewish community broadly needs to open its eyes. Something is happening today. And you know what? The Messianic Jews are just as controversial today as we were in the first century. We're such a small little group. We don't mean anyone any harm. We just happen to believe that Yeshua is the true Messiah of Israel, and we stand up to proclaim it as Jews. That's all. I don't know why it seems to shake everybody. That little thing seems to shake the Jewish community to no end. It seems to shake the Christian community all over the world. And that's because something very small and with little power, with little strength, is being moved by the power of the living God. And I believe that we are here to herald the return of Yeshua, our Messiah. We are the forerunners, if you will. And the restoration of his kingdom. Well, 
what's the kingdom? What's it all about? People talk about kingdom, this, kingdom, that. Kingdom now, kingdom then, no kingdom. What's the kingdom? Well, I just put it in the form of questions. Is the kingdom spiritual or physical or both? And I'd like to answer these questions for you. Is the kingdom now or is it coming later? What does the kingdom have to do with Israel or the Messianic Jews? Well, let me go back just for a second. Is the kingdom spiritual or physical? Or is it both? Yeah, I'm going to say it's both. But, you know, many people say it's totally spiritual, completely spiritual. And uh, some people in the past in history have believed that it was physical, but did not believe it had any relationship to Israel. And they, they began to spread the kingdom by force. And it was called the Crusades. And other things like that. We want the kingdom on earth now. Well, it's not unlike Yeshua's prayer, teaching us how to pray, um, our Father in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. My friends, the scripture says the kingdom of God is within you or among you. So it's here. But the scripture also says the kingdom of God is coming. Is it physical or spiritual? It is both. There's entirely a spiritual aspect to it, but when it is divorced from the physical aspect that is connected with Israel, it becomes distorted. Israel was designed to reflect the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven on earth. Was it always true? No. But that's what it was designed to do. Is the kingdom now or coming? Both. The kingdom is here now. When Yeshua the king lives in us, the kingdom is here. Among us. The kingdom is at hand. So there's a sense of now, but not yet. There's this tension that we live with, and we do live with it. We have the kingdom of God now. We have the principles and the laws of heaven that apply to our heart now. But this is not all there is. The kingdom of God is coming. When Yeshua comes as king, what is he going to do? He's going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem, on his throne, the throne of his father David, in Jerusalem, and he will set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. And we're told in Zechariah chapter 14, hallelujah, that every nation on the face of the earth will come up to worship him. Where? In Israel, in Jerusalem. So it's very physical, it's coming, but it's here already, we already have a taste of it. I think what some of us need help with is interpreting the laws of heaven and the kingdom of heaven and how to live that on this earth. Sometimes we like the righteousness and then we feel righteous, that righteousness inside of us and we look around and we start to act like we're under the laws of this world. And we begin to criticize, you're not as righteous as I am, you're not, you're not. That's not the kingdom of heaven. What does the kingdom have to do with Israel or the Messianic Jews? Just briefly, I mentioned it already. Israel is the spot. Israel is the nation. Israel is the, is the, is the geographical place and the, and the people to whom God has been connected. God will, God will save all of Israel in, a, in one day. In Zechariah chapter 12, we find in one day, that nation will find God's grace. They will look upon him whom we have pierced, and we will mourn as one mourns for an only son. And it will be like a nation born again in a day. And so rather than just focusing on individuals being, quote-unquote, saved or coming to faith in Yeshua, at that moment in history, when the whole nation of Israel follows Yeshua, 
all of the other nations of the world will be affected. All the other nations of the world will come under submission to the King of Kings. Not just as individuals, but as nations. What does it have to do with the Messianic Jews? As I mentioned earlier, I believe that God has raised us up in this hour to herald Yeshua's coming and to declare by the very presence of the Messianic community of the first century reborn or resurrected, by the very presence of this community, that Yeshua is coming and he's coming very soon. So among Yeshua's followers, who's connecting Israel with the kingdom? Eh, you know, it's done in various ways and in various forms. But I believe that the Messianic Jews carry in us a living hope, not only of the return of the Messiah, but the reinstatement of Israel. Not only in the hope of having a national hope, we have that, but in the hope of having the kingdom of God on this earth centered in Jerusalem and all of our people being followers and returning to the God of our fathers. So Yeshua is the king and with him comes the kingdom of God to Israel and the nations, as I mentioned. Look, friends, when the king is present, the kingdom is present. When the king is present, the kingdom is present. Some people have lost sight of the fact that the king is Jewish. And the kingdom of God has a very Jewish aspect to it. It's not just born out of space, and it's not just simply neutral. When Israel is saved, all the nations of the earth will also come. Well, Yeshua had a profound response to the question, is it now that you're going to set up the kingdom of God? Restore the kingdom to Israel? Yeshua's response was this. He answered, he said, you don't need to know the dates or the times. I want you to, when I read this to you, I want you to understand explicitly he never said no. You don't need to know the dates or the times, the Father has kept these under his own authority. But you will receive power when the Ruach HaKodesh comes upon you. You will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Yehuda, Judea, and Shomron, Samaria, indeed to the ends of the earth. That was his response. I believe what Yeshua was saying was yes, the kingdom of God is among you. Yes, the kingdom of God is going to be restored to Israel. But in the meantime, I want you to be endued with power from on high by the Ruach HaKodesh, by the Holy Spirit, and become my witnesses, those who give testimony of who I am. These were all Jews he's talking to, so he's saying, I want you to stand up as Jews, and I want you to declare among your fellow Jews and whoever else I send you to that Yeshua is the Messiah of Israel, and the Savior of the nations. And so, you know what? They obeyed him. They were obedient. They didn't have time to ask him any more questions. He ascended to his father. <laughs> that was it. That was the last word. So the Shlichim, or the apostles, and all the Jewish believers obeyed Yeshua's command to become his witnesses in Israel and beyond, and they even went into the nations. You know what? At some of them, at the very expense of their own life, they obeyed him. The pattern which Rav Shaul wrote about in Romans 1.16 was they went to the Jew first. This was a Jewish message. Who in the world was waiting for the Messiah? Back then, 2,000 years ago, as well as today, but 2,000 years ago in particular, Gentiles were not waiting for a Messiah. They knew nothing about a Messiah. So every time an apostle or believer went into the nations, they always went to the Jewish community first because the Jewish community was waiting for the Messiah. And here they're bringing the news of Yeshua. After that, they went to the Gentiles, to the Goyim. 
this biblical pattern of declaring the good news of Yeshua was actually the halakhic pattern in the book of Acts. If you look in the book of Acts, in the Acts of the Shlichim, with this in mind, you will see this pattern continued throughout the book of Acts. This pattern, I believe, was the order of God. Not to be dismissed lightly, oh, well, it happened in the first century, and now it's, now it's done away with. No. The Lord put an order in the universe. The sun rules by day. The stars and the moon rule by night. He says, if anyone can change the fixed order of the universe, I'll cast Israel off. Who can change the fixed order of the universe? God has order. When he created us, the human body is a wonderful, magnificent creation. Very orderly. When it gets out of order, we call it sickness or disease. So there's an order. God is very orderly. He's spontaneous, but he's orderly. And so the good news, when it is declared throughout the world, there's an order to it that's biblical and proper to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. I wanted to share a little bit about the mystery and the miracle of the one new man. Many of us talk about it, but don't understand really what it is. I'm not saying that I understand fully what it is either, but I have a little bit of a a grasp on it. Um, You know, the one new man concept was a mystery in the Tanakh, in the Torah, etc., in the writings, in the prophets. But it was there. If you look now through the eyes of the Brit Hadashah or the New Testament, you can go back actually to the Torah and to the Tanakh and you can actually see the, the plan that God had in place always. In the Torah, the law says, when a Gentile lives among you in peace, he says, you shall treat him as a native of the land. He shall be subject to the same benefits and the same laws as you are subject to. There was this mystery already contained in the Torah of Jews and Gentiles coming together under God. Of course, this mystery um, is revealed most acutely in the New Testament and particularly through Yeshua's blood, through the atoning work of Yeshua. His blood broke down the dividing wall which divided Jews and Gentiles. It's a mystery, but it's also a miracle. Probably the, the, most, the, the best explanations you could find in the Brit Hadashah in the New Testament are found in Romans chapter 11 and Ephesians chapters 2 and 3. We can broaden that, but just for our purpose today, I'm keeping it fairly focused. In Romans 11, let me just read this to you. Romans 11. I actually do use the Bible sometimes. I'm just teasing. Ever since I started using these projected overheads, these PowerPoints, I don't use my hard copy much anymore. But here it is. In Romans 11, I'm just going to begin in verse 11 because of the brevity of time. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? They is Israel. Israel did not stumble so as to fall, did they? Rav Shul says, may it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has now come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. So, there was a cyclical purpose in all of this. The transgression of Israel yielded the opening of the door of the gospel to the Gentiles. But when that happened, the Gentiles were never supposed to say, well, God is through with Israel. You know, they fell, they stumbled, they fell, God is through with them. No. This is a cyclical thing. When the Gentiles came to faith in Yeshua... They were supposed to make the Jewish people as a nation jealous of their own God. 
Here are Gentiles following the Jewish God. Now, if their transgression, Israel's transgression, is riches for the world, and their failure be riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? So, if Israel was stepped away from Yeshua, what's going to happen when Israel begins to come back? That's the point. How much more will their fulfillment be? But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles, and as much them as, I'm, as I am apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry if somehow I can move to jealousy my, my own fellow landsmen, my own countrymen, my own fellow Jews, Israelites, if you will, and save some of them. For their rejection, if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? My friends, this is an amazing passage. We've read it and heard it so many times. I don't need to go over it very much. But yes, Israel experienced the rejection of Yeshua. But he's also saying, when that changes and turns around, and Israel begins to come back in acceptance, it's going to be life from the dead. That, that can be described in a couple of different ways or understood. One is the way I've been describing it. The Messianic community is coming back to life. Life from the dead. Heralding the coming of the Messiah. The other way it could be understood is literal resurrection in terms of dead people coming back to life. And we can understand them both equally. They're both good. Because... People will be resurrected from the dead when Yeshua returns. So, here we have the Messianic community resurrected, back to life, heralding the coming of Yeshua. When we say, Baruch Abba Shem Adonai, written up here in Hebrew. Just in, as in Yeshua saying in Matthew chapter 23, verse 39, he says, When you say, Baruch Abba Shem Adonai, you'll see me again. So when we say, Baruch HaBaba Shem Adonai, yes, we see him again spiritually, but there's a physical aspect to it, my friends. I don't know how many of us have to say it. I don't know who particularly has to be saying this. You know, he was speaking to the believers in to the people of Jerusalem. He says, when you say, Baruch HaBaba Shem Adonai, you will see me again. So somehow, somehow, in some moment, the Messianic Jews are going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and there's going to be a trigger that gets fired in heaven. Bang! At that moment. And the Father is going to say to the Son, Son, it's time to go get your bride. And he's going to come. He's not going to come without the Messianic Jews. And at that point, when he comes, there will be a great resurrection from the dead. <laughs> from dead to life. You want to see a miracle? Just hang around. That moment is coming. You see a miracle before your eyes. But you want to see more of a miracle? It's coming. It's coming. Then Rav Shaul goes on to describe in Romans 11 how Jews and Gentiles relate to each other. He says to you Gentiles, he says, don't be arrogant toward the natural branches, the Jews. Israel. He says some of the branches were cut off because of lack of faith or lack of belief in Yeshua. He says, but they were the natural branches. He says, he says, right, I'm not, I'm just paraphrasing, but you read it for yourself. He says, you're not the natural branches. It's going to be easier for God to cut you off than it was to cut off the natural branches if you lack in faith. And then he declares in verse 24, there is coming a time when the natural branches are going to be grafted back in. My friends, that time is now. We are living in a very prophetic moment. In Ephesians chapters 2 and 3, I'm not going to read the whole thing, of course, but just referring to it, in verse 11, he says, Therefore remember 
that you who were formerly called the Gentiles in the flesh, uncircumcised, you were called this by the Jews who were circumcised. He says, remember that you were at that time separate from the Messiah, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise which all resided in, in Israel having no hope and without God in the world. That was the state of the Gentile world. Far from God, excluded from Israel, excluded from all the promises and covenants without God. But now, in the Messiah, Yeshua, you who were far off before have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. Brought near to what? You've been brought near to the commonwealth of Israel. You've been brought near to the covenants and promises. You've brought near to the hope and to God that all reside within the commonwealth of Israel. But how does that work? He himself, Yeshua, has become our peace, who made both groups into one. This is a miracle, friends. He says, the two into one new man and establishing peace. This is, this is done by miracle, not by uh, consideration. Yes, we need to be considerate of one another. But God never says, I'm going to call you to compromise and dilute your personal identities so, so to the point where you can really blend with each other and live with each other, you know, and everything, everybody will be happy. No, it's done via miracle. Jews with a strong Jewish identity. Gentiles who are called Christians with a strong Christian identity can come together and worship God as one new man and have peace that binds us together. How can that be possible? Because God has created us to be mutual blessing to one another. I need you, and you need me. And when we don't have one another, we're incomplete. There's something that we give to each other that enhances the presence of God among us and declares in the heavenlies the defeat of satanic powers and declares the kingdom of God, the presence of the kingdom of God. Let me just conclude this word. Some of you are saying it's about time. Old and new prophetic revival. Well, the revival of the Messianic community of old and of new is an amazing eschatological indication of the soon return of Yeshua. It's an amazing prophetic indicator for us. Yeshua is returning, and he's called his brethren according to the flesh, if you will, Jewish people coming to faith in Yeshua, to be those who come to herald his return just before he comes. The return of Israel as a nation in our day, well, actually 1948. Some of you don't remember that day, but I don't either. I'm younger than that. I wasn't alive in 1948, believe it or not. But the return of the nation of Israel to the land of Israel and the return of Jewish people to the Messiah of Israel after 2,000 years is nothing less than miraculous, my friends. You know, there were a number of years ago when everybody was always pointing at the, the miracle of the return of Jews to Israel after 2,000 years. No other nation on the face of the earth has ever returned to its homeland after being dispersed for 2,000 years. It's unheard of. It's miraculous. Nothing short of miraculous. What many people overlooked was that Jews were also coming to faith in Yeshua. Also. Now Israel's become such a such a like a, a stone around the neck of the nations, causing nations to reel 
a weight around the neck of the nation. This is prophetic. Everything that's happening today is very prophetic. It's all written in the prophets. So now people have taken their minds off of uh, the prophetic nature of the return of the land of the people of Israel to the land of Israel because it's so controversial now. Everything's so controversial in the Middle East. But my friends, it's nothing short of miraculous. This is what I think we should do. I think we need to pray for this prophetic revival to increase and catch the world on fire. We, you know, there are lots of people now who believe that Jews are saved because we are sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you know what? Yeshua said when he was in, uh, when he was in Israel, he said, if they don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. If they don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. Today is a miraculous day. Jewish people are praising Yeshua again after almost 2,000 years, not only here in the diaspora, but in the land of Israel. There are now thousands and thousands of Jewish Israelis who believe and follow Yeshua as the Messiah of our people. Amen. I'd like to call Beth up with the worship team just as we close here. And to say that God has begun something that is miraculous. You know, when I first started out following Yeshua, I thought I was the only Jew in the whole world that believed in Yeshua. (laughs) I felt very alone. The Lord led Marlene and me to start Baruch Hashem as a Messianic synagogue because, well, maybe because I was so lonely, but, be, but, but really because other Jewish people came to know Yeshua and God was calling us to remain Jewish in our identity and we needed a place to worship Him as Jews. And we also needed a place to welcome Gentile believers who, who, who want their, their, their faith restored in terms of Jewish roots of their faith, and who wanted to understand and support the resurrection of the Messianic Jewish community. So if you're not Jewish here today, I just want you to know you are so welcome here among us. And I'm so glad that you've come to support what God is doing in the Jewish community by resurrecting and reviving the Messianic Jews in our day and in our lifetime. And it's all done through Yeshua, through the sacrifice lamb. Our foundation is built on solid rock. Yeshua, Yeshua. the rock of our salvation on Solace Radio.